Welcome to Looking for the Ocean, where we watch everything Pixar has ever made. I'm Danny Vincent, and as always, I'm joined by Mark Young. And with us today is Luke Hayden. How's it going, everyone? Luke, how are you? What's your connection to Danny? So Danny and I are friends. We go all the way back to middle school youth group. And I don't know if this is lore to the show, but I was a part of Danny's movie club way back in the day. Yes, we talked about it when uh, Michaela was on, about the famous uh, Contagion Lion King uh, fight. Oh, that same movie club you were in that? So, okay, so Mark, to clarify, because I I think Mark might be a little confused, because we didn't go to the same school. The club that we, me and Michaela destroyed was Cinema Club. Danny's movie club was a Facebook group that we used throughout middle school and high school to just organize like groups of 10 or 15 of us to go to movies. Yes. Ah, I got you. Which also had some drama go on at one point. I just had an intense memory of what happened the month before we saw Cars 2, which was when we saw Green Lantern. And uh, (laughs) getting very annoyed with someone. I don't remember if it was you or your brother brought him, but I was very annoyed with whoever it was. (laughs) I forgot that that was before Cars 2. Yeah, no, Drew brought him. Okay. He's actually pretty cool now, that guy is. But yeah, he really enjoyed Green Lantern and did the whole um actually thing the entire time as the rest of us were like, not sure that was very good. <laughs> He's like, you don't just don't understand the character. And it was like, I don't really care if I understand the character or not. I, I don't understand who Thor is and I enjoyed that. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> So, Luke, what, what's your connection to Pixar? I remember watching a lot of Pixar growing up, particularly, like, Toy Story. But the one that takes the cake is has to be The Incredibles. I remember my brother and I, we uh, the day that The Incredibles came out on DVD, we made our mom drive us to Walmart before school and go buy the DVD. We got back and watched the Jack-Jack Attack short. What's your opinion on Jack-Jack Attack? Do you like it? We are mixed here. I've not seen it in probably like 10 years. I remember liking it as a kid, but eventually just kind of phasing out on like religiously watching it, you know, probably I'm fine with it, but I think it it overstays its welcome a little, I think, from hindsight. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you two are more educated, but I remember it kind of being the same gag kind of over and over. I understand your hesitation to critique Jack-Jack Attack after it's been so long. I feel like a lot of these films, our reviews of them are really colored by watching them as children. Of course, Danny has a lot of great memories about that. And I'm just like, I just remember this as like a wash of feeling and I can't analyze them as well as I can as something like Mission Impossible 4 which the episode we've already recorded for, which I had just watched for that episode, and it was like, I'm an adult. I know everything there is to know about this movie. So, like, we're not going to judge you for your Jack-Jack attack opinions. Okay. Hopefully the I don't whip the internet into a furrow and they come after me. Everyone's going to go after you for your Jack-Jack takes. Yeah. Can I also mention the other connection that I know of you, Luke, is that you were the one who directed Danny's play? Yes. Can we have that on air? I thought that was really cool. Yeah, so I teach middle school and high school choir. I'm in charge of directing the musicals. And at the middle school, they decided to add theater as a thing. Now, I don't have, like, much formal theater training, but I enjoy it and I'm trying my best. And the kids seem to enjoy it. And we've had a lot of success, and I asked Danny if he'd be interested in uh, writing a play for us, and that was the fabulous Maria Kent in The Spirit of Adventure, which was, what, the fourth name we settled on? It's definitely the best one, though. It definitely was the best option. Yeah. All aboard the sea caboose. A lot of of bad titles were killed in the process of getting to a good one. Yeah. And honestly, we did, I did that and Sound of Music last year, and I enjoyed working on Maria Kent a lot more. Nice. That's good to hear. So you're dialed in with the youth, and you know what the kids like. Do they like Pixar? I feel like to them, Pixar is less of a brand than it was for us, particularly with like the Disney plusification of everything, where it's all just under one umbrella. Like, I don't really hear kids talking about Pixar as a, as an entity, I might hear them talking about the movies, but I don't hear them talking about like, oh, I really like Pixar films. It's more so like, I like Disney movies, and Pixar is just Disney to them nowadays. It's tragic. 
because Disney sucks and Pixar rules. Yeah. You mean Pixar rules and Disney drools? Yeah. Do your kids love Encanto? Do they demand to only sing Encanto? Actually, I don't. I think I've escaped showing Encanto this year. Okay, good. But we did watch Tangled. Okay, but Tangled's good. Tangled and Moana are like our innocent. <laughs> we watched Tangled and Moana. Honestly, I'm not a big fan of Moana. <gasps> My first time going to watch it, I got to the David Bowie crab and was like, not feeling this. I think that's fair. After rewatching it, it's like fine. I just remember Mark. I remember coming home drunk one night in college and putting it on, just crying at it very late at night while I was eating Jimmy John's. Mm. I bring that up because Mark was definitely there, but he might have been asleep. <laughs> I feel like I was there, but like, why was I asleep in your house? I mean, I don't know. Maybe we just came to my house to watch Moana, but it was like four in the morning, so you fell asleep because it's a comfy couch. Yeah, four in the morning, and you were there. <laughs> wow, this is a perfect Cars episode. I, you were there, too. <laughs> it is It is as related to Cars as Cars 2 is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Cars 2. Why are you here for Cars 2, Luke? Wait, wait, wait. We have to finish. As, much, as great as a segue that would have been, we didn't ask. Well, then why did you stop it? <laughs> what is going it's on? It's a Cars 2 desserts. Luke, when you think of Pixar, what's the first thing you think of? It's not Cars 2, I assume. <laughs> no. Uh, like I said before, it's it's definitely The Incredibles. And in particular, it's the scene at the end of The Incredibles where the Underminer pops up. Because I remember just being a kid, being like, when's Incredibles 2 coming out? And being just like desperately needing to know what happened after that the credits rolled on that one. It really is fascinating. I always talk about this. It's fascinating how The Incredibles 2 is probably the most wanted sequel ever. Like, at least in our lifetime. And then when it finally came out, it just kind of completely was like gone from memory. And it was like, we need another Incredibles movie. It just was like, oh yeah, there's one that exists and it's fine. And I like The Incredibles too. Yeah, I remember seeing it in theater, which like I very rarely go out to the theater. I probably have gone more in the past couple of years than I did back then. And like going and watching it, being super satisfied and then never having any desire to ever go see it again or ever watch it again. It's like it scratched the itch. It's almost as if like the sequel was better in my brain than it was on the screen, you know? Yeah. Now, before we move on, Mark has to ask his question. That he asks all of our guests. Yeah, Luke, have you seen Turning Red? I have not seen Turning Red. My girlfriend texted me like a month or two ago and was like, hey, this Turning Red movie is really good. Uh, we should watch it. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds fun. And then we never watched it. I just find it really hard most of the time to commit to watching movies. Anything over an hour just feels like so long. And maybe I'm just like ADHD or something to like sit down and commit to that. I have to like oh no, I need to like work on this or do that or sit and do nothing. I don't know. I just find it hard to commit to a movie. I'm sure you guys are aware. I know I actually think I texted Luke about it. Maybe I didn't. The weather this past week in Chicago has been terrible. Not because of the weather, but because we've had the smoke from the Canadian wildfires. Yeah, we got that down here too. Yeah, so since I still work at the camp, it was like on Tuesday through Thursday, we couldn't take them outside at all because of how bad the air quality was. On Thursday, our schedule was we were supposed to go to a theme park. It got canceled. Well, it got postponed, which is good. If it got canceled, it would have been much harder to deal with. Telling kids, we'll go in a couple of weeks is what you're going, oh yeah, we're not going there at all, you know? Instead, we took the kids to see Mario, which is this whole thing I could get into about like why it was annoying we saw Mario and not Little Mermaid or whatever. But my actual story here is that on the way back, one of my coworkers was like, I really liked it. I hadn't seen it yet. I really liked it. It was really long though. And I go, that movie is 85 minutes with credits. It's by far the shortest movie you've seen probably in the last year or so. It's not too long. It's just that it sucks. You just think it's good, but you think it gets long means you actually hated it. And they're like, okay, if it was 85 minutes, yeah, you're right. It probably was pretty bad. <laughs> you see, I I miss, like, I remember as a kid, the average movie length was, like, right around 90 minutes. But everything's just creeping up to, like, two hours now. I feel like the 90-minute movie is something that's just dying and no one knows how to really do. Or maybe that's just me waxing poetic about a past that never existed i don't know this summer i've been very weird about it because i think yes there, i mean i haven't seen the new indiana jones yet that movie's two and a half hours long which is ridiculous because every indiana jones movie for it is two hours long like on the dot i don't know my other thing this summer has been i've been defending spider versus two runtime because hey it's not enough because i think i've said it 
I don't know if I said it here before, but one of my friends was like, I can't, like, what are happening to 90 minute movies when I told him, like, Spider Verse 2 is 2 hours and 20 minutes? I'm like, well, I mean, the animation art form is based around the 90 minute thing, so you can't really complain that this movie's trying for something different because it's the first of its kind to do it. But yeah, sure, be mad about Guardians 3 being two and a half hours long. That's that's valid, you know? And again, I think one time we, uh, you and I discussed this, Danny, of like, if a movie earns it, it's good. If it doesn't earn it, it's just a slog. And I feel like so many movies saw like, you know, the Infinity War movies, which I, I enjoyed, and they're like, that's the ticket. We have to go bigger, and that equals more success. And they just tried to do that, and it's just completely unnecessary. You can tell most stories a lot more efficiently, I feel. Do you know what movie is told very efficiently? What movie is that? Cars 2! Vroom, 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 vroom! We did it! We made it to Cars 2! All right, Cars 2. Summer 2011 comes out. It completely annihilates Pixar's reputation (laughs) the second it's released. (laughs) No longer are they the No Failure Studio. They released a movie that I believe has around 38% on Rotten Tomatoes when it first released. I think it's gone down to 32% on Rotten Tomatoes since then. No, it's actually up to 40% now. Good job, Cars 2. You've been moving on up. People like me have been reclaiming it for a while, I guess. I don't know. I'm glad that you're here to reclaim it. I've got to say I might be on the other team. Although I do think it's weird that this movie, like you said, like de- like destroyed the reputation of Pixar or whatever, because we've been watching Mater's Tall Tales, and this is a feature-length Mater's Tall Tale. Like, we've been expecting this, I feel like. That's why I watched this twice before we came on here, and on my first watch, I was pretty open to it, because I was just like, this is the same thing I've been watching for, like, a few months now. This is not news to me that this that the Cars universe is capable of this, but I guess other people weren't watching television and they were like, what's going on here? <laughs> the people didn't do the research before going to see Cars too. They didn't know the deep lore. <laughs> I mean, I also think that potentially the world of Cars allows for something like Cars 2 to exist even from the first movie, but we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Cars 2 is pretty much announced as soon as Disney buys Pixar, essentially. It's like, we're putting in some sequels in production. Toy Story 3 and Cars 2. Originally, Brad Lewis is supposed to direct it, but a year before release, he gets kicked off the project to be put as the co-director with John Laster being like, only I can make a Cars sequel. I'm the only person who understands this property. Uh, Wikipedia specially notes that this is his last outing as a director of a Pixar movie to date. Considering he's been ousted from the studio, I highly doubt he will ever come back to direct another Pixar movie. Uh, Michael Giacchino does the score, replacing Randy Newman. Imagining a Randy Newman score for this movie feels crazy. The important thing I actually did want to mention historically is, you know, we talk about how this is, like destroyed Pixar's reputation, but it's the highest grossing film of the Cars trilogy worldwide. It did do less in the U.S., though, than the original. As a sequel. Well, not necessarily. It's because it's a sequel that's worldwide, so it had it had appeal, worldwide appeal. It opens at $66 million, which is about the range of what Pixar movies are doing around then, right? I think it might, I mean, not as much as Toy Story 3, because Toy Story 3 was a special case. But it's about, like, you know, like what Up Rad Tui Wally did. It then drops 60% the following weekend, which is the July 4 weekend. So it drops 60% on a holiday weekend. Normally animated movies drop 45% without a holiday weekend. That is how toxic people were at the cards too. I believe this is also a groundbreaker because if I remember right, yeah, this is the uh, first Pixar movie since the establishment of the best animated feature category at the Oscars not to get nominated for best animated feature at the Oscars. A groundbreaker. I also want to point out, right before we talk about the movie itself, is that Wikipedia feels the need to let you know that if you search Cars 2, the first result is a film. If you want to see the video game, go to Cars 2, the video game. I feel like most people are not trying to get to the video game first. I I do remember growing up and multiple friends having the Cars video game, playing a lot of that Cars video game back in the day. The first one, not the second one, but... Well, yeah, they were like, I do remember they were like fairly, so, like, you know, licensed game was always a crapshoot growing up, but the Cars games were at least like just racing games, you know, it's kind of hard to mess that up. So where were we when we first saw Cars 2? I suppose I doubt that it was this 
horrible July 4th weekend, but when were we seeing Cars 2? Mine's not super exciting because I was not allowed to watch it until we recorded this episode, so... I <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't let him watch it before. I was like, I want your raw Cars 2 takes. <laughs> now, I can actually find exactly when I first saw it because uh, I joined a website, not Letterboxd, a different website where I started keeping track of my movies in 2011, and then I imported all that to Letterboxd a couple years ago. So let me see when I uh, first saw Cars 2. Uh, I saw it, we saw it on August 2nd, because I saw it with Luke at the Portage 69 yep. Max on August 2nd, 2011. So very late into its run did we finally get around to seeing Cars 2. I mean, can you blame us for not rushing, not racing to go see Cars 2? I, if I remember right, Cars 2 is kind of like another 2011 movie, Kung Fu Panda 2, where I've had these long-running streaks for both Pixar and DreamWorks where I've seen every one of their movies in theaters. And it was one of those things where it was like, both of them I saw like in the last week they were available because I was like, I want to keep this streak running. And Cars 2, you know, we, we got it under the wire right before all the, I think the theater did literally drop. I think this was like a Tuesday probably. And I think the theater dropped it on the Friday. Yeah. What was the theater like when you were in there? Were there a lot of people? It was the place to be most of the time, but it was also, if it was a Tuesday or whatnot, it would have been pretty, pretty low. Well, also, if it was Cars 2 in the last week, Cars 2 was out. Like a Tuesday afternoon. I'm pretty sure it was just the three or the four of us because my friend Matt was with us too. And I think it's the one time you ever met Matt. I'm actually looking at, I remember because uh, for me this was special because you didn't go to the other one. But I rushed to see Cars 2 and I rushed to see the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie in the same week. Because the Winnie the Pooh movie had already left Portage and I went to go see it at Cinemark. Yeah, I remember you really liking the Winnie the Pooh back then. Another movie, you know, we were just talking about how movies are too long. Winnie the Pooh. 63 minutes with credits. <laughs> I think that one, well, bomb for two reasons. One, they opened up against Harry Potter, which like the final Harry Potter movie. So like no one wanted to see it um, when that was the other option. But also when you see the runtime is 63 minutes, you're just kind of like, well, I'll just wait then because why would I spend movie theater prices for an hour of entertainment? But I remember seeing Cars 2. Yeah, that theater. I think it was just a, that wasn't that bad type of thing. Yeah, I remember really enjoying the Victor Hugo line because I had just finished reading Les Mis or something like that, or as in the process of it. I, I do see that my Cars 2 review on letter, not, like this is my imported review from 2011, is just, Cars was surprisingly violent for a movie about animated talking cars going on a world tour. It is better than the original though. So I've always been of the opinion that Cars 2 is an improvement on the first film. An opinion I still have on this rewatch. So I'm not familiar with the deep lore here, but does this movie introduce death to the Cars universe? Because we like pretty explicitly see people like die, like horribly get crushed into a little cube. That's pretty graphic, isn't it? I do think it's the first on-screen death in Cars. I think even in the Mater shorts, I don't know if there's an on-screen death. There's a lot of death in this movie. It's a very violent film. And I really enjoy that aspect of it. They're like blowing <laughs> everyone up and like shooting guns. Like it, I, I was just like, they, they're like, dead dead like there's no coming back from that it's like trying to keep a body count for the incredibles i think in a way this is more shocking than the incredibles because in the incredibles i feel like even like at the time i saw incredibles granted i was nine when i saw incredibles i was 16 when i saw cars 2 when i was saw incredibles you know yes there's all that death but all of it's like they punch someone and the thing explodes you don't see like the body and this it's like you just see them explode and their bodies just lay there. Or like the one I was thinking of was specifically, uh, I think it's in the Japan sequence when Finnick missed my house fighting those guys and he like smashes them twice with an elevator and their lifeless bodies just stay there. And it's like, great. I love this. This is amazing. Also, Cars 2 is rated G. I feel like that's something that we also need to specify whenever we talk about the violence in this movie. This is G. It's not even PG. I do think that the bathroom fight between the American and the thugs is one of the more, like, violent things that I've seen because of the way they shot it. The Finn McMissile scene with them in Japan is kind of goofy because he's doing kung fu and then there's, like, the end fight, which is just ridiculous. The ending of this movie is one of my favorite things. I'm just laughing hysterically throughout the whole thing. But the bathroom fight is shot in such it's just it's kind of a good fight scene you yeah. really 
like feel the blows when they're just like ramming him into the wall. Yeah, it does have a good like kinetic energy to it. And uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about like the overview of this film so people can kind of picture what we're talking about when. So, so Cars 2 follows up the original Cars, which is about a man learning the finer things in life to just relax in the small town in the north, the southwest of America. So tell us what Cars 2 is about, Mark. Well, Cars 2 is about Lightning McQueen being challenged to compete in a World Grand Prix. And it's kind of convoluted, but basically the movie follows Lightning competing in this World Grand Prix in different locations in Japan and Italy and then in the UK. And then the side story, which is kind of the main story, is that Mater accompanies Lightning on this Grand Prix. And of course, Mater is actually the reason that he becomes part of the Grand Prix through shenanigans. Mater is mistaken for an American spy <laughs> by British spy cars, and they try to get his help figuring out who is sabotaging the racers who are competing in the Grand Prix. And yeah, there's there's this whole convoluted plot with a billionaire who's funding the race, and he's making all the cars use this oil which are use this gas which reacts to electromagnetic pulses that the evil cars are using but it's kind of like speed racer where it's the whole race is a sham because it's meant to discredit the use of this all-natural gasoline instead of like normal gasoline but then that's kind of weird because it's not actually like anti-environmentalist it's just because the lemon like <laughs> <laughs> these cars, <laughs> these the cars, cars that are that are technically like they are built poorly. Like these are these are. I feel like sick, disabled, coded cars are actually the villains of this movie. Well, we can <laughs> get into that because I don't actually think that's true. It's 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 said, but it's not actually like part of the movie. It's that's actually kind of an interesting thing. But basically, they want to discredit this all-natural fuel source because they own offshore oil, oil wells. <laughs> like, not because they actually so need it. Like, it's not related to them being poorly made cars. They just own it. So they're trying to get more money. <laughs> and it's not even like, we're never told, like, they hate the race cars. It's just like, now nah, let's just target the race cars because we'll make more it's good publicity. It's, none of these dots are ever connected. It's yeah, great. Well, that's, a, that's something that I really didn't understand. Even on both watches, I had to even look up like what these models of cars were so all of the bad guy cars are lemons and they're famous lemons <laughs> which is again really funny because these movies this movie expects you to be aware of this going into it yeah. like mater explains it to you but it's also like yeah of course that these cars are bad are bad cars it's like... yeah it's always a joke whenever he's like oh man you're a gremlin and you're a pacer and we're supposed to be like oh all right and i think like if you grew up at a certain like, I think these were pretty well-known cars, so maybe you, like, get that, but I don't know. The problem that I have with the Lemon cars is that they just look like normal cars in the Cars universe. Like, they're based on cars which look silly in the real world, but in the world of Cars, where every car looks weird because they're animated cars, they don't look like poorly made vehicles, they just look like everybody else. And they're never shown breaking, except for the main bad guy who just has engine engine trouble and is like oils leaking but like i i just i just feel like that was a characterization miss because they're like evil thugs and you could have like given them like a fake eye or they're like you know they're like limping or they're like i don't know they're just you, you could have done a lot of like crazy physical things with these guys to make them like more more fun bad guys who you know historically have always been you know air quotes like deformed in some way and that's why they're evil or whatever but that's something that could have been explored and it wasn't and i'm just frustrated by that so that's that's thing one on my list of what's going on before we continue i realize this you can tell that i'm very pro cars too and mark seems to be pretty anti luke where do you fall in the cars to quality scale i think i like it kind of <laughs> i think it's fun it's ridiculous and i like that about it did I enjoy watching it? Yes. Do I think that it is the what Cars 2 should have been? Not really. I'm a little confused by it. <laughs> um, 
but I also genuinely do love Cats 2019. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. Taylor Swift is great in it. What can I say? I was hoping she had used that as a surprise song, McCavity. Imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and then my high schoolers actually love like the original Cats, the 90s recording we've watched. You know, it's just one of those things where you ask why. I've I've tried. I've really tried showing them the good one. The last great thing we as a society made before it all went down the tubes. But so, Luke, do you have like an overall, do you have an overall like assessment of Cars too? Because I feel like, I mean, for me anyway, I feel like I have a summary of why this movie fails for me. Maybe that would be interesting to like get out of the way now and then yeah. the rest of the podcast can be us like defending our take or whatever. I kind of feel like it was an idea that they just didn't execute as well as they might have been able to. Like, I feel like a lot of the the character drama was just way too simple. And like, I know it's not like supposed to be the most complicated, nuanced movie, but like, I just feel like the whole arc between Lightning and Mater is just too cliche to really work. And I found myself honestly just feeling more embarrassed for Lightning McQueen than like, <laughs> like genuinely feeling bad for Mater. You know what yeah. I mean? My, my basic thesis on this film has always been uh, it's good because it is bad in a way. It is, it is accidental self-parody of Pixar where if you look at the life lesson being taught here, it is... One of the worst possible. It's it said the lesson is said to be you know the typical animated movie be yourself. But if you really look at what's going on in this movie, that's not what the message is at all. It's, no. Hey, hey, if your friend is like really holding you back, you need to meet them on their level, of, of the, and, and you need to stay with them and not worry about it. You know, like because Mater does constantly like ruin Lightning McQueen's career for very obvious like. The moments I laugh in this movie the most are just, like, things that aren't even supposed to be jokes. Like, the thing I was laughing so hard at was in the Japan sequence when he's just on the line going, like, hey, you need to go, you want me to go outside? And Lightning's like, what? Okay! And Lightning does an obviously dumb decision to let the other guy pass. Yeah. It's also, like, couldn't he have been on a different radio channel or something? Exactly. Like Everyone in this movie is an idiot, which is why I really like it. There's not a single smart person in this movie. Also, I in the past like couple years, I've gotten into Formula One. And let me just tell you, I have so many comments about just like the races themselves and how those work. I was very confused for most of them. <laughs> Mm, I'm so glad. I'm so glad about that because I had, like, of course I know that it's like all fake, and they're just gonna be like, whoever comes in first finishes, and that's it. It's not like how races actually work. But I'm glad that we have you here because I, I have that like nagging thing in my brain, but I can't speak to it. Okay, yeah, and like this is my first season I've been watching, but I've been like watching cycling YouTube for way longer. Did I say cycling? I meant Formula One. I've been watching both. So, like, I, I, I know some of the skinny, but it's really interesting. Do you want me to get into that now, or do you want to keep moving on something else? Well, we can get into it later about, like, maybe specific parts of the movie, because I also wanted to say that I really agree with you, Luke, about your take that I feel like I take this movie on its own terms, and on its own terms, it does not work. I'm really intrigued by Danny, you saying that it's like a parody of Pixar lessons. I feel like that is the best defense of the film. But I'm just like, if these weren't cars, it would be kind of a dull spy movie. But since it is cars, it's hilarious because it's this graphically violent G-rated film. <laughs> I don't even, I, well, like I already said, I also don't think the car humor is there as much as it could be. It doesn't work for me as a Cars movie or a spy movie or as a racing movie, really. I argue that the humor of this movie comes not from them being Cars, but from comes from the conflict of them being Cars. Like, is if this was a normal spy movie, would Mater stupidly eating wasabi be funny? No. Yes. 
because a lot because I thought about this too I think it is a pretty common trope in like comedy spy movies for there to be this mistaken identity and you have this bumbling idiot like oh he is the best spy in the world I don't know to me the only reason it's funny is because it's a car that's asking for pistachio ice cream and it being wasabi because there's so many layers to this makes no sense that it just becomes hysterical to me whereas otherwise I feel like in a normal like North by Northwest S parody it would just be oh this is a Larry the Cable Guy being stupid and asking for wasabi ice cream. That wouldn't be funny. But since it's a car doing it, it's hilarious. I feel that, actually. That would not be a compelling joke if he was Larry the Cable Guy. But also, I mean, I would I would have no patience for this movie if it wasn't a Cars movie. I just don't think them being Cars, like, flips it into being good for me. Like, I guess I, I, guess I see what you mean. Like, there is that level of humor, but... I want more of it. I don't know. Or like when we go to the bathroom, right? And there are sinks. I texted you during it. It's like, what are the sinks? <laughs> why, why do they have sinks? They're not good. They, Mater doesn't wash his hands with his tires when he leaves. They're just there. Well, I do just think that like this movie has slow parts too. And those suck. Like what? Tell me a slow part. I can probably find something funny to find out of it. I think that when they're in, in the plane and then the train talking about, like, that picture of the broken motor is very confusing and also just kind of, like, dull. Um, and I mean, also, like, Luke, you already said this, I find the Mater-Lightning interactions just to be so frustrating. A really good example of this is when Lightning receives the letter from Mater saying How did he write it? Home. How did Mater write the letter? Well, it's, of course, how did he write the letter? It's, <laughs> like, it, it should be it, it should be honestly more ridiculous, but there's something about that scene about the way they block it where they have all those cars on a line and there's no like history of that moment. It's not like Lightning is like he could he could be like finding the letter and like oh now he's like showing it to Guido and oh Fillmore was having a drink in the background. He didn't know what was going on, but now we're going to like go over and show it to Fillmore. And there's nothing in that scene. It's just like this static moment of them like reading a letter. And that's, maybe that's not the exact complaint I had about why I found it dull before. This is kind of a different complaint about dullness. But then the same thing. It's just, I just don't think the craft is there. Oh, the craft isn't there. Don't worry. I agree with you. This movie has very little, like, Pixar story crap. That's why I kind of like it. It's a, again, one, one, another reason it's appealing to me is, like, it's a failure. Like, that is appealing, is that this is a movie that comes from the studio that can never fail. And then this comes out, and you're like, how did this get past them? Like, how does this push down? And everyone's like, this will work fine. <laughs> like, it just makes no sense. One thing I think about the movie and about the um, lightning and Mater stuff, and this kind of goes along with my, it's a parody of self-lessons, like, life lessons, is that, you know, this story where it's like, sometimes you, you need to be there for your friends. You can't be too mean to them. I think there's a, I think there's a story here, right, of being embarrassed of your friends when you're a different friend group. I think that's a very real thing that people always deal with, right? Where it's like, yeah. The thing is, it's being told from the perspective of Mater, not the person who's trying to discard Mater. Ergo, Lightning always comes off as terrible in the story, but also because of how bad Mater is being, he also, like, they're trying to make him seem reasonable. You, you know what I mean? Like, they're playing both sides here because the movie has to be from Mater's perspective. But in order to make Lightning's arc work, you, you know what I'm saying, right? I'm, it's hard. It's kind of hard to explain. I well, I get, like. I get what you mean. It's kind of because of the twin plots, and neither one really becomes the main plot. It's hard to like. It's hard for there to be a definitive Pixar lesson. I think the lesson though is meant to be like from Mater's perspective. It's don't be. It's like it's supposed to be. Don't be ashamed of who you are. You're great anyway. And I think it's a really bad lesson. Considering how often in the, the first act, Mater does ruin things for everyone. And it's just because he's not paying attention. It's nothing to do with, like, his decision. It's just he's not being a good... He's he's not stepping up for Lightning when Lightning's asking him to step up. But him being asked to step up is being treated as, you're trying to change him. It's like, but you're not. You're just letting him know this is your professional life. And you would like him to be there for you. Like, you, you want to bring him along for the ride, but if you can't keep up... It's my professional life. You can still be friends at home. <laughs> That's a bad thing, which yes. is really funny. <laughs> it could have been great, you know? I I don't I don't have a problem with this because I do feel like the, you know it's a it's a spy movie it's a racing movie and these are both 
good genres. And I even think that, like, having there be this main race with a mystery in the background, again, this is what Speed Racer is. And you can complain about Speed Racer. I, I feel like Speed Racer, craft-wise, like, the craft of Speed Racer really elevates it. But, like, why isn't that there, that here for Cars 2? Like, why isn't there enough spectacle for me to overlook things like Lightning McQueen being like, no, Mater, I was wrong, you were right, and I'm telling you this in three sentences at the end of the movie. Can we talk about the best moment of this movie, which I've referred to before multiple times whenever I talk about this movie, which is the climax of this movie, which has Mater have a bomb strapped to his nose. And he's like, run away, run away, I'm a bomb. And then we get a very long, uninterrupted date of Lightning going, yeah, Mater, you are the bomb. You always were the bomb, and you're always going to be the bomb. I'm sorry I missed that. It's just everything wrong with that movie is like, this movie is summed up in that exchange, which is so bad. I just can't help but like laugh hysterically every time I watch this movie when it happens. The stakes felt lower than the Marianas Trench at that point. It's like, they are going to get this bomb taken care of. Like, it just felt so low and so choreographed. Like, no, you're the bomb. Like, I don't know. I was, I, I was honestly losing interest through that part of the movie. It was just so like, okay, I know, I know the rest of this. But see, I think that's when the movie becomes the most farcical. Because that is when the plot lines finally intersect, and you realize just how different movies they were. <laughs> because the lightning plot, even though, yeah, we always cut back to it during these Mater scenes, the second it's like, oh, Mater's on the track of a rocket, and the cameras are falling, and we're hearing the car commentators being like, there's a tow truck on the track. He can really drive backwards well. It's like, wow, none of this really does work when we put it on one big jumble. <laughs> also, the fact that Mater, a completely unaerodynamic tow truck, was able to catch a Formula One car while driving in reverse. And a rocket, and, okay. And towing <laughs> a, a stock car. I don't even think he had the rocket at that point. I think he was still like... Like driving in reverse. Maybe I for, maybe I'm misremembering I think, uh, it. But even if we didn't, it's the movie's so dumb. So it's just like okay, sure. Like and then like the climax of the movie literally being like made her threatening, walking up to the queen, being like, Hey, I have a bomb on me that's gonna go off in a minute. It's just like this is amazing. Like this is so dumb. It's one of those like is it is that just because we're in England that they do that? Or like why did they decide let's put the Queen of England in this? And also isn't like William also there too? Like very specifically, it's like it's like uh you know, he's like grandma, we really should get going. And it's like, okay, great. I'm glad he was there. <laughs> I even think that the globe trotting ness of it is like a fine idea for a sequel. Like, why don't you meet the Queen? Whatever. Yeah, like a global Grand Prix series, like checks out, like good enough as a premise. But yeah, it's it's this like like you said, it's not committing to really anything too deeply uh, emotionally or like the spy stuff. If you're going to do that, just like go all in on it. Or if you're going to do the character drama, it's just so much like in the middle of everything. I also feel like there's just the joke of having Michael Caine be like the person doing all this. Like voice act. Like, like they didn't even like get like a British like Daniel Craig type of age. They're like, no, let's get let's get Michael Caine. He'll be fine for a James Bond character. In the time, you know, like this came out like a year before The Dark Knight Rises. This is like when Michael Caine is like old in the eyes of the public. And his voice is so recognizable. It's like yeah, he's uh, in his prime spy car. <laughs> well, he was in The Italian Job, which is a great car movie, so maybe that had something to do with it. It's funny, too, because I actually... This is one of the few Pixar movies where I really dislike the voice performances. Like, they seem really checked out. Owen Wilson had a moment in this. I was so really, like, thrown off by what he was doing. I think it was, like, when he was, like, kicking Mater out, and it's just like, I don't know what the... He's like, Mater, you're useless, or something. Like, it's so intense, and it's like, what, what is going on here? What is Owen Wilson doing? He shouldn't be giving it this much of a commitment. This line doesn't work, and you should know it. <laughs> there is one moment that Michael Caine does... The one Michael Caine line reading that I really like is when 
Mater is disguised as Ivan. And I don't know. I actually think this was... This is... There's so many things in here that are like... But just... They're funny concepts, but there's some part of them that is frustratingly executed. Like when he's dis he's disguised as Ivan, and he's describing a bad guy based on his heads-up display. So he's like saying all of his aliases and where he's wanted, and then they're like, Oh man, this is a scary guy. Like, there you go. But like... Uh, like Holly showing up in his in his view screen kind of like breaks the tempo of that for me. That that threw me off too. And it's it's like why isn't she just over audio? I don't I don't know where that came from. That was just that's kind of something else. But oh, I remember because it's in that moment. Michael Caine has the line where he says he's so good, and that is the most that I ever believed anything Michael Caine was saying because of the way <laughs> he delivered that line. It's just. <laughs> It's so pleasant. I think uh, if there's a good voice performance, and it's probably Thomas Crutchman as the professor. I think he understood the job and got paid. He could have been more German, honestly. Yeah, he was All kind right, well, of... If you, want, you want to call Thomas Crutchman and be like, hey, be more German, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I think we wanted a Colonel Kurtz. I meant Colonel Klink. Like, that's who we think of when we think of, like, evil German scientists. This goes back to what I was saying about the thugs, is it's like, look, man, you've got thugs, you've got an evil German scientist, you've already, you know, walked yourself halfway there, you just need to step over that line and commit to it a little bit more, and then this will be joyous, you know? What is your guys' opinion on um, John Turturro's only appearance in the Pixar canon? Fantastic. My favorite Cars villain. Yes. He un he knows what to do. Ah, uh, he's okay. <laughs> Why do you think he's just okay? Is it because this is kind of like loud John Turturro performance? And it's yeah, that's basically it. It's like, I don't find him compel as compelling as a spy plot. A real good twist would have revealed him to be the mastermind behind it all. Yeah, and not the... <laughs> that would have been like, funny. you know it's Miles Axelrod from the moment that he's the one next to Mater when the oil leak happens. That's so frustrating that, like, the movie can't just, like, bury it one layer deeper, so it's, like, not him somehow. I don't know. That was just... That just seems like a really kind of blunt move for me. In a movie which is kind of hard to follow for all of the other twists and turns, I wish that part were not so obvious. I like the epiphany scene in this where uh, it's just Mater floating in a black void <laughs> watching scenes from earlier in the movie. <laughs> he's just like, wow, yeah, that happened. <laughs> you know, I have no recollection of like anything Lightning McQueen did in this movie that is of any note, particularly in the regards to driving. Probably part of that's because you have these secret agents that are doing all these absolutely incredible vehicular stunts that blow anything Lightning McQueen would do out of the water. So there's not any room for him to really shine at the going fast that he's good at. And they also don't film the races as well as they do in one or three, which I checked ahead to just to make sure that I was right about this. But the camera is so static in a lot of these races, and it's like the the, the opening of Cars 1, like, goes pretty hard, you know. I don't know why that couldn't have been replicated at night on a dirt Cause road. Because the focus here isn't on the races, it's on the spy stuff. It's when the guns come out. Oh, I just remember, by the way, I was going to mention this a while ago. The best part of that train scene is the end of it when uh, McMissile's like, how about some weapons, Mater, and just reveals the entire wall of guns. <laughs> I love that bit. Again, wouldn't it be funny in any other movie, but it's in a car, so it would be it's hilarious. I, I, I will agree with you on that one. The uh, the guns <laughs> were kind of out of nowhere, but A+. Plus. <laughs> I just think the fact that this movie gives Mater guns to use is just... In general, this movie, whenever it, like, goes hyper-violent, this is amazing. Like, why, how, how are they at the studio being like, this is what we, our car sequel should be about, a spy movie. Okay, let's give Mater guns. <laughs> yeah! That's a good idea. Between Cars 1 and Cars 2, I did look up some Larry the Cable Guy comedy movies. I, he's just so baffling to me, because I really, <laughs> I, I do really like the character of Mater. And on my second watch of Cars 2, a lot of these jokes were more frustrating because I think they're overshadowed by the deadness of the rest of the movie. And even in the comedy scenes, I think you're always aware of like the the yawning chasms of emptiness behind the characters. There's something about that. The Cars 2 just feels very like unalive. But I'm just having these thoughts about Larry the Cable Guy because I'm like, man, his raunchy stuff 
stuff just does not do it for me at all. But the idea that there is this folksy tractor guy who just doesn't know his way around the world is so appealing to me. It's wild that these two characters can exist in the same person and seem, seem to not interact with each other at all. He seems like he can be such a clown and in like a kid friendly way, but that's not what any of his live stuff is. I, I find his live stuff a little like underproduced, but that's kind of Cars 2 adjacent, I guess. I don't know if you, you guys have also done the the supplementary readings on Layer the Cable. I've never seen Layer the Cable Guy in a non-Mater role. Mater's the one role that I will ever watch him in unless I someday watch the Tooth Fairy 2. Wasn't the first Tooth Fairy like the rock or something it's the rock in the first tooth fairy julie andrews gives him the job as tooth fairy in it so the sequel should hypothetically be the rock gives us the lady the cable guy but unfortunately it was just they couldn't get um the rock to come back or julie andrews i think so they just gave it to larry the cable guy <laughs> they're like here you go man and they're like yeah okay Luke, I wanted to ask you, now I, I do want to ask about your car-watching experience. Why were these races frustrating? Okay, first off, you would never race a closed-wheel stock car against an open-wheel formula car. Like, those are completely incompatible in racing. Uh, the way they drive is completely different. The type of tracks you would r drive them on, it's not the same. Second off, they have these courses that are, like, off-road and like all these literally if you like drove a formula one car on dirt it would like explode like the wheels would literally get a whole bunch of dirt and grit in them and just shred apart like you you cannot do that the nascar would probably not have the same steering as like a rally car would so if there's anything technical most likely that nascar is still going to lose time in every single corner to like a rally car but a rally car would be set up for the dirt and not for the gravel so then it would just shed and bleed time all over the asphalt one thing that was really confusing to me was the way that they started these races right so in most racing you have qualifying right where you you go one lap and see who can go the fastest and i would assume that Francesco Bernoulli, he and Lightning, I assume, are the two fastest cars around the track. So realistically, they should always be the first two cars on the grid. However, we see in the first race, we see them in reverse order. So Bernoulli is actually all the way at the end, and then Lightning is second to last. So that means that they would then have to pass everyone, which is very opposite from like, any racing that I know of. It's more cinematic, though. It is. Like, it's one of those things where, like, <laughs> it makes sense in my brain that you started that way, but it's not the way that it actually starts. Now, we move on to the Italy one, which they're just trying to make it look like the Monaco Grand Prix, is, is what that's supposed to look like. And um, it's the opposite. Bernoulli and Lightning are at the front of the grid now. So did they swap the way that they're qualifying? Like, what's going on that we're not seeing? Um, did they, like, have to take engine penalties at the beginning? And, like, I'm just very confused by that. And then we don't see the grid for the third race in England, which I was very surprised that that was, like, around London and not around, like, Silverstone, which is, like, the really famous British Formula One track. Well, they gotta have, they gotta have the queen show up, so that's why it's in England. Yeah, but like wh why was it in london and not not on like an actual i don't know oh i think it's because they wanted to have big ben there but i also th i i kind of feel like if they had it on a real track it would be more compelling because then you have to get from big ben all the way to this real track yeah so we don't see the grid there but also like we don't really see that race at all Except for when they try to death ray lightning. That's about all we actually see of it. Then when they're at the end at the Radiator Springs Grand Prix or whatever, they're in reverse order again with Bernoulli and lightning at the back. So I'm just very confused about why that's not consistent. 
and why it is that way. And I'm sure someone along the line made that decision. Do they say the last one's official? I felt like the last one was meant to be like an unofficial makeup race type of thing. I didn't feel like it was... They just all have their paint jobs from it still. And in that case, it would make sense for Lightning and Bernoulli to want to be in the back because they want to show off their butts to each other. Yeah, but like, I think they're both such professionals that they would want it to be as legit as possible. And if you've flown like the 20 other cars there all the way to Radiator Springs, like... I don't know. That's a lot of money to just like go putts around a little course. Like it seems like in this gray area of like being legit and not being legit. Like I feel like the result is legit, even if it's not like on the same like publicity level. But I don't know. We also don't we don't actually see them racing. We just see them doing like a parade lap or something. Also, I felt that like the only race where we see them do more than one lap is the first race. We see the bridge section, I think, twice in Monaco, but we never see a single lap of the third race. And we only see them cross the finish line twice in the first race. So how many laps are these? Like, are these endurance races? Are these sprint races? Like, what are these? I'm very, very confused. Especially because I think, like, obviously Cars 1 handles this really well. And we know from, like, The Phantom Menace that you can create drama across multiple laps. So I guess maybe it is because Cars 2 isn't about the races. But I, I also have this this gripe with it. Just when you sit down and think about it, it's like there's nothing really there. Like there's no sense of drama because it's a race without drama. Or it's a race that doesn't set up anything to let there be drama. I kept being like, I want to see more of this race. Like this race actually seems kind of interesting. I have a lot of questions and then there's just nothing. Maybe there's a way to have done it better, but I don't know. I, I wanted to see more racing. It's it's about cars and cars go around in circles. Like vroom vroom. Do you guys hear about our race? Chicago. Didn't it get rained out? Yeah, it was really funny. Everyone I know has been complaining about it for months because it's like, why are we doing that? That's so dumb. And then it got rained out, so everyone was happy. But also annoyed because it's like everything still got shut down just for it to just get rained out. You had a car race in Chicago? Yeah, they closed a bunch of the streets so we could have a car race. Yeah, it was supposed to be like NASCAR's first street race, which actually sounds kind of cool. Like, I don't care about NASCAR, but like, I probably might have like watched the highlights for it. Yeah, I saw some of it in a bar on um, Saturday. And it did look kind of cool, but it was also just like, this is stupid. Like, the damage to the city on a holiday weekend is not worth the gain of tourism it got. Because it's not like Chicago's a really big, like, nap. Like, you know, it's people aren't really going to come in for that. Especially when there's nowhere to park their own car. I don't know. I was going to, I don't know. I just had that on my list of things to bring up because city street races. And that's what this movie ends up being, basically. They're not really courses. They're not race courses. They're street courses. I have to wonder what some of my students think about this movie, because they probably grew up with it a bit more than we did, like in that background noise sort of way. I had a moment at work earlier where I felt old this week. Now I always feel old at work, but I have a coworker who's pretty cool. Um, she's, I think, 21. She started working here last summer. She's 20 last summer. She's 21 this year. And I'm just playing this new playlist, and uh, I see the light from Tangled comes up, and she's like, ah, oh, this is great. It's a classic. And I'm like, yeah, it is. And I was like, wait a second. This movie came out when I was a freshman in high school. And she's like, well, what year was that? And I'm like, 2010. She's like, I guess I saw this when I was eight years old. And I was like, I don't like, I don't like knowing that. That makes me feel very weird about this conversation because I feel like we're talking on the same level here, but I'm way older than you. <laughs> well, that's life. I don't know, but like when specifically we talk about like the movies that define us, you know, Tangled to me, you know, always feels like to me, like this is the return of Disney of what they had when I was a kid. But then it's like, no, nah, this is just Disney when I was a kid. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, it's weird to think about. I got that feeling when um, someone I was around was like i'm so glad that infinity war is coming out because now i can see those characters i grew up with like iron man finally have the end of their story and i'm like wow i don't feel like i grew up with iron man i feel like i wasn't actually that old when i saw iron man but i definitely don't feel like he's like my childhood character that i get to watch the end of his story or whatever no matter what you feel about cars 2 it has put us in the mood to watch Cars 3, another movie about the passage of time. I hate Cars 3. The uh, manager at the liquor store that I was working at last night said that Cars 3 was peak. I watched Lightning McQueen's death scene last night. It was pretty rad. We didn't talk about the best joke of the movie, which is when, it's not even a joke, it's more like a disturbing bit of body horror, just when Mater runs into the person who has eyeballs where their headlight should be. 
Oh, yeah. It's very disturbing. Clearly, Lassiter had a lot of beef with people who hated cars. Had to get out of his chest. He's like, this joke has to be in the movie. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> Cancel the movie. What What are more ways that you can defend Cars 2 to us? It's, a very, it's funny, violent. It's got a great Michael Giacchino score, uh, which we haven't talked about. It's fantastic. They should bring him back for Cars 2, too. That's my big pitch, always, I say, is that Cars 4 needs to only follow Cars 2 in the same way Cars 3 completely ignores that Cars 2 happened. Cars 4 needs to only acknowledge the second film. But Cars 2 is art. It is art in the way bad stuff can be art. Because it is a well-made film in technique, but in, in story structure and in voice acting. And in everything we think of when we think of Pixar to be great, it fails at. But all the aesthetic goodness is there. It's just shot. It's a lemon of a movie, right? I guess. I don't even think the aesthetic goodness is there. This movie looks like a level in Lego Star Wars. The wasabi looks delicious. It doesn't look like wasabi. They didn't, like, get the texture of wasabi right. I, I don't know. That's, that's like, a small thing. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, why couldn't they get the texture of the wasabi right? It wasn't quite viscous enough. It was a little too liquidy when he, like, scooped it out and plopped it there. Like, the first little bits, it's like, okay, that looks right. And then he, like, this look, it's way too wet. I thought the car's beer looked good except whenever they splashed the foam on after people that looked really bad mark i'm gonna i'm gonna refer back to something you sent me and i texted you i texted very much looking forward to discussing the life lessons of this film and you said no matter what you can get a british girlfriend which i think is a very key part of this movie too which is that they have absolutely no chemistry at all she's constantly teaching made her what to do and at the end she's still like hey mater I'm glad I'm your girlfriend. <laughs> and it's like, great. I'm glad. I'm glad this movie that made her be so dumb and do everything wrong. And it rewards him by giving him a person. <laughs> it does not reward him by giving him a pro And rockets. They give him rockets and, and he gets to be in a relationship with someone. <laughs> On some level, I really appreciated that he he like gets the girl at the end, but it also is kind of like there's no chemistry there. There's very little chemistry between anyone in this movie, particularly the two of them. I think there's chemistry between Lightning and uh, Francesco. I can yes, see something there. That's that's pretty much <laughs> it. Yeah. They're constantly tattooing each other's names on their bots. It's pretty romantic. I can see it. Mark's like, I don't condone this. I don't know. I find, I think that, like, the voice acting slash voice direction was really subpar as well. <laughs> yeah, and I just don't think it, really I don't think it helps anyone. Except for John Turturro, who doesn't really need to connect with people. I think that's maybe why I am on the side of, like, this is a good John Turturro appearance. Because be, by him being crazy, he doesn't have to, he doesn't fall into, like, needing to connect with other people i do like the bruce campbell cameo i think that's the other actor i like singling out here bruce campbell as the american agent who gets killed on screen i did have a thought that i think that you know you can think of like what is an american actor and i think i was looking this up just curious of like what then they talk about like what actors are the most popular american actors but that's not really what I mean when I think of, like, American actor. I think Bruce Campbell is the person who is, like, the actor who is most American, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's a um, moment in Asteroid City where Matt Dillon shows up, and I've seen a lot of people on Twitter be like, I thought he was Bruce Campbell for a second. And I'm like, because he's playing Bruce Campbell. Like, he's playing a Bruce Campbell-esque role. Luke, what's your opinion on Bruce Campbell? I had to Google who Bruce Campbell is. Well, you're a big fan of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movies, so... You see him around. <laughs> He's in a lot. He's the guy who goes, Spider-Man. That's a, like, Arachnikid. That's a dumb name. It's Amazing Spider-Man. He's uh, the lobby guy in the second one. He's like, you can't come in late to the play. And in the third one, uh, yeah, he's yeah. the uh, French waiter, which is the only memorable role he has in any of them, really. <laughs> because it's probably the only thing that movie everyone universally likes. <laughs> How does this movie make us feel about Pixar? Honestly, I felt the way most people feel about this movie when I saw Toy Story 3, so I'm pretty much in the same place that I was. Like, I saw the writing on the wall. I was expecting this, and this is exactly the same kind of thing we've been watching in our shorts episodes for a while. So I'm like, yeah, what were you all expecting? 
I feel like this movie lives large enough in my brain with Pixar that it hasn't changed my thoughts all that much. And even at the time, I'm not sure that it might have altered it. Of course, like, it was that first one that just really was not super solid. I, I don't know how much it moves the needle for me, though. I mean, I think it's. I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning. You know, it's accidental self-parody by Pixar. It shows you how the formula can backfire, and in a way, to me, it's very endearing because this is the really the first. I know, Mark, you already said like Toy Story three already showed this, but I think this is the first real sign that like the formula is not always going to pay off. I think it's a very charming movie in that sense where it's like its failures make it likable. It's hard not to root for this movie once it's clear how wrong-headed it is. And I think it becomes pretty clear how wrong-headed it is Robert, like in the first scene. It's like the last movie was a nice little movie about um someone learning to slow down and appreciate the fire of beings is like movie opens with a distress call from a British agent about to be killed. <laughs> like, as soon as the logo sends. Like, it's pretty clear immediately this isn't going to work. And I find it weirdly endearing that no one at Pixar was like, we need to completely restart this movie. They kept going, no, the spy stuff will work. It's going to work. And then it never did, obviously. I guess encouraging to know that even at the level of Pixar, you still have higher-up creatives being like, no, I know this has never worked when we're the audience, but surely when we put this in front of someone, they will respond differently as though it is suddenly good. There was um this recent recent expos, inverse.com, about Elemental and how like Elemental is bombing and like the people at Pixar, what they blame it on. And one, one, there's like one, you know, they always get like a quote from one person that's like, this isn't really the attitude of suit. This is like one person in the studio. One person's like, well, the issue is Pete Doctor isn't too hard on the movies. Um, Lightyear wouldn't have happened under John Lasseter. I don't know, Cars 2 happened under John Lasseter. So I don't really think we can just say that John Lasseter would have been like, nah, Lightyear can't, this, this can't be put out. Because he put out Cars 2, right? I think Cars 2 is more obviously not working than Lightyear ever is. And I don't like Lightyear. I mean, I like, I don't like Lightyear because to me it's boring that it's not like this where it's fascinating i kind of wonder if this is steve jobs dead yet in the timeline if he's not dead he's really sick right now because um brave is dedicated to steve jobs so i think he's not dead yet but i think he yeah he dies in october this came out in june i guess that kind of throws a wrench into my theory that maybe it was maybe he was a more influential producer force what i find really interesting about the production timeline is is that Brad Lewis, who's the producer of Ratatouille, is working on this since 2008. Then in 2010, when Toy Story is coming out, they announced John Lasseter's taking over as director. So you'd think, like, you know, John Lasseter already did the thing with Toy Story 2, right? They couldn't do that with Cars 2, I guess. And it's just really interesting that, like, he seems to end up... And I'm not defending John Lasseter. You know, we all talk about how he's a terrible person for a lot of reasons. But it's weird that he seems to, like, be the fall guy for this. But it's also, like, he had a year to fix it, which he'd done before. And I say, I say this all with love, because I do think I enjoy Cars 2 more than Cars 1. I stick by that. I think it's a much more enjoyable film to watch. I laugh a lot doing it. And if I'm not engaged, you can be on your phone for, like, five minutes and be right back into it. And you're you're back into the fun stuff. It's also, this, this movie is about 80 million more expensive than cars was so it's almost an i mean it, you know you you can fact check me on this danny but it's like an entire movie more expensive than the first one and i wonder if maybe be, because of the behemoth of the whole thing maybe there's something because toy story 2 was originally supposed to be a direct-to-video product and then it got bigger maybe there's something in that i don't know you were talking about the score and i want to disagree i remember getting to the end and being like Oh, there was a score? Um, I don't know. Nothing stood out to me. Oh, the main theme is so good. It's like... It's just like a... It's like the monsters, kind of. It's <laughs> I'm so bad at actually like, paying attention to scores in movies, and maybe that's it, but... I don't, it, nothing jumped out at me with it. So I'm sorry, I have to disagree with, with your take on the score. It's, it just seemed very much like it was a, a job that he did. I mean, he was busy this summer. He did um, Super 8 and then he also did Mission Impossible for yeah. the winter. So he was busy. Yeah, like it, it just seemed very much like a, 
a job that paid the bills but was not particularly inspired. I'm on the same page with you, Luke. I mean, Danny, I know you're a big Giacchino fan, but I just, he doesn't, like, reach me. Oh, I'm not a big Giacchino. Okay, well, never mind. I guess that this was all a ruse. Can I read some lyrics from the end credits song? You may. Okay. It opens with, as I said, it talks about coffee and tea, but I just want to read this lyric, <laughs> this, this stanza. Abbey Road, Route 66, CIA to the MI6. Right and left ring metric imperial pounds dollars howdy cheerio. <laughs> we are different but the same. <laughs> that that's real. That's its history right there. Now before we move on, I do want to mention one last joke. Were are you bothered by the Ratatouille reference? Because I was not because. So they go to France, and so of course we're going to cut to Gusto as a car, right? That's just the obvious joke to do. But it's gas toes. It's two separate puns. I think they should have picked one and just gone with it. I think that's this is totally fair. I think they should have gone with the gas one also, not the toe one, because the toe one is too obvious. I feel like if you lead with gasto it isn't it's not as immediate as gusto's i feel like you immediately get that joke and you can move on but i think gasto is that's not what his name was much. it was gusto like just why do you have to Look, change what's your the opinion? syllable it's been a long time since i watched ratatouille so i didn't catch it and i'm ashamed to admit that i didn't catch it and therefore have no opinion on the matter so, hello everyone. Danny's computer completely crashed. He's now coming to us through his phone, and we have to finish this episode now. So, thank you all for joining us. Wait, we have to, we have to say what we'd give it. We can still do the end segments. We always like to give the film something like normal reviewers give a film stars or numbers or things like that. But we like to give the film something like a present, like a physical object that says how we feel about it. I'm going to give this film a collection of Three Stooges DVDs, but like it's been like lost in a swamp for many years. And I've pulled it out and I'm just handing it this mossy, swampy set of DVDs. That is so poetic and visceral and in a way beautiful and violent. I appreciate that. Yeah, Danny does relevant things, but that's not my way. Oh, don't worry. This week I don't have any I know I'm going to give it. I'm giving it tickets to performances in 2018 of Hamilton in Chicago because a long time ago I wrote a film for that game I used to play. Called Johnny Johnny S Papa making movie no papa t- uh, buy tickets now ha 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 something like that I don't remember the whole title but Mater was in it Mater was a spy in it and Mater was grave robbing it as a spy and the plot of it was Mater need to get tickets to Hamilton and I felt bad that he never got the tickets so I will give him tickets to Hamilton now so mine is my Mini Cooper engine melting on the way back from Danny's play as Danny was in the car with me and we pulled over to the side of the road and it died and was totaled and never drove again is what I'm giving to Cars 2. Thank you all for joining us for Cars 2 and thank you Luke for being here. You've been such a great guest and it's been wonderful to have you. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Do you have like an Instagram where you want people to follow you or socials or anything like that? I, I have one Instagram. I'm a choir teacher. Um, so it is Mr. Hayden one, and I'll be entirely honest. I actually post stuff on, I don't post anything on like my actual socials. So just follow there. You can see me as I'm putting on productions, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Follow me on there. If, if you want, if not, don't. All right. So Danny, what are we going to talk about next time? It's, we, we already talked about it, but Mark still got to edit it. Is uh, there was another spy movie that came out in 2011 that's related to Pixar, and that is from director Brad Bird, who met Tom Cruise and made Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, our next detour. Uh, as I said, we've already done this episode, but it's really good. I think it's a really good episode. At least my, at least the guests did. I don't know about Mark and me, but the guests are pretty good. These are probably the most special guests that we've ever had. Yeah, sorry, Luke. I'm sure they're really special, so no offense taken. Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. The show is edited by Mark Young. Our original artwork was designed by Sarah Knopf. You can follow us on social media at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on our website at LookingForTheOceanPixar.podbean.com. You can 
can follow me, Mark, on markyoungperformer.com. I hope by the time this episode comes out, I actually have a link to this podcast on my website. That's something that I should do. And also on my socials, I'm still in a play. You can follow me, Danny, at Blankets on Letterboxd. I just put up my Wes Anderson list. Come fight me about it. You can listen to my other podcast, The Snub Club, where we talk about the movies that the most Oscar nominations no wins. Thanks again, Luke, for coming on. My pleasure.